back, everyone, to What's the Story with Jillian Shauna. We're really excited to talk about episode seven of Wishbone, Bark That Bark. Um, we are joined today with our guest, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you two? <laughs> we're um, And so we're going to be talking about this episode of Wishbone, which covers two African folk tales. Um, and so we'll just start out talking a little bit about our relationship with the books or the stories. Um, do either of you have a relationship with these stories? No, I just wishbone, but I really, really strongly remember this episode. Me too. Yeah. And yep. I did some like pop culture digging and apparently I do have other Anansi connections, but like, oh. I don't actually. <laughs> well, well, that's. That's interesting. So there is this cartoon called Osmosis Jones. Or not Osmosis Jones, I'm sorry. That was also a cartoon, Flash Forward. Now I sound super racist because they're both cartoons about like black characters, I think. (laughs) 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 Anyway, in Flash Forward, he's like a, or not Flash Forward, Static Shock. I'm just going to edit all of this out. (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm going to start over. No idea. (laughs) <laughs> there's a cartoon okay, called Static Shock on the WB and he was like a superhero and I guess in that show there's like a um, superhero in Africa called Anansi and mm-hmm. they don't specify like what country in Africa he represents but he's just like a superhero and um, I watched that I don't remember that at all and then also there was a TV show American Gods based on books and Orlando Jones plays a character that's kind of like a Nazi I never watched that but I do know there's like a really big uproar when Orlando Jones was basically fired off the show Um, Hmm. and people were like this is dumb because he's the best character on the show so that is all I know about Anansi Mike do you have a relationship with Anansi Oh, but I do, I remember this episode really vividly. Um, Like the flower part, especially, where they like all get the, well, they kind of merge the stories, um, but the flower uh, wisdom, when they start to fly, like I remember being a kid and just being like, that's so cool. I didn't know people (laughs) could fly. Like genuinely believing it. But um, no, no no knowledge of the story prior to Wishbone. But um, I do vividly remember it. I remember too, and so I was wondering, this this is the first episode that's like really stuck in my mind as like, as we've been watching, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember the spider costume and I remember Mm -hmm. being just as confused as a kid what the the plot of the story was and it wasn't more clear as an adult. We can talk about that later. (laughs) Um, But this one really stuck in my mind, but I don't remember anything else from like pop culture. Although I was thinking that there might've been an Anansi um, episode of Reading Rainbow, like that there was one of the, mm-hmm. that was one of the books they read. And I did some quick Googling and I couldn't find anything, but I've decided that that's a true thing. So I believe that, that happened. It might be true. I did see there were some Anansi like kind of storytelling bits on Sesame Street, apparently. Oh. So honestly, like all the PBS stuff does merge a little bit in our heads probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I well, and as a side note, I didn't realize this, but Reading Rainbow had like very famous narrators on the show. Like I was reading through it when I was looking for this Anansi story. So I feel like that could be an excellent podcast too if someone wants to steal that idea. Oh. <laughs> I unrelated, but I just started following LeBar Burton on LinkedIn, 
He's got some solid content. <laughs> on LinkedIn. I was yeah. like, okay, I know he has a new podcast. I know people like him on Twitter, but the second LinkedIn came out of your mouth, I was like, he is living in 3000, the year 3000. You can, you can tell never I'm just living under a rock. I, I don't have any social media, so LinkedIn is my social media. Um, so to your listeners out there, subscribe to LeVar Burton on LinkedIn. <laughs> We'll save that for the recommendation section. <laughs> I got plenty of recommendations. All right. So did you want to share anything else, Mike, about your relationship to the show or anything like you remember as a kid? I, I love the show, especially the, the end, like actually brought back so many memories of being a kid when the dog's like running up and down from the chair. And I just like, as an adult and having a dog, I can appreciate how much work that dog trainer does to get Wishbone, one, into that costume, and two, to get him to do all that stuff. Like, it's amazing. Like, this show, like, I think, honestly, the dog acting is better than the human acting. 100%. This is why so, I have a whole exactly. section about his costumes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and the dog make the show. Like, it's Oh, amazing. yeah. It's amazing. I was like, in some of the, the adult acting, I was like, ooh, the kids are okay. And then, like, the adults, I'm like, uh, and then Wishbone, above and beyond. So I would, <laughs> I would every time. recommend Soccer Wishbone. Wishbone for a Grammy, or I don't even know what's the Emmy? Emmy? Is that what it is? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't watch TV, y'all. Like, <laughs> well, he could get a Grammy for his, like, narration if he did, like, an audiobook. That's it. Exactly. He'll, he'll be, what's it? EGOT. EGOT. Wishbone for EGOT. <laughs> Well, that actually could happen because earlier today, um, (laughs) I saw an announcement. Solid transition. I saw an announcement that uh, there is actually going to be a Wishbone movie, which is pretty exciting. Um, This is what the world needs. It is. And it's really interesting. A friend of mine sent it to me. She's like, I haven't even read this yet, but I knew I had to send it to you because I am the conduit for all Wishbone related content. And it's interesting because it's going to be produced by Peter Farrelly, like Dumb and Dumber, like something about Mary, Hmm. stuff like that, which I thought was interesting because I like that there's someone who's kind of wacky. Unfortunately, his most recent project was Green Book. Um, so that, you know, is interesting. He's all over the map on that. All over the map, especially because we've been talking about how inclusive Wishbone is. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. And the writer attached to it is this guy who I, or I don't know if it's a guy. Um, it's somebody named Roy, let me see, someone named Roy Parker. And they're unknown, but they did have one of the scripts on the Blacklist last year. One of the top scripts on the Blacklist of 2019. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and for folks who don't know, The Blacklist is um, kind of like a script. It's a place for unproduced um, screenplays to be posted. And people who are um, members of the Writers Guild or who haven't ever written um, or made a movie before can post their scripts and they're voted by members of The Blacklist. And some really, really, really well-known um, movies that we know get purchased off the like kind of year-end posts um, and voting. And um, this person had one of the top screenplays of last year. So, but it's like a horror movie. So I'm, anyway, it's, you know, it's early days, but 
but so it's Shana, not- you, you're a, you're a planet money listener. I take it. Did you, I, uh, did you see that blacklist um, podcast? I saw oh, you actually, knew about the blacklist before that. Yeah, I love Franklin Leonard. I have always like wow. wanted to secretly write a screenplay so I can become a member of the blacklist because you can't just become a member. You have to write a screenplay. And <laughs> I'm like, I guess I could have been a pandemic project. I should have written one about Wishbone. You should write the next Wishbone uh, screenplay. I'm so foolish. Anyway. You could have like a PBS crossover. Oh my God. Imagine a ghostwriter wishbone reading rainbow Arthur. Arthur, like cracks creatures like I can get them all together yes zoom <laughs> like, that's too much is there too much anyway anyway no. but i'm hoping that this um movie situation I, it's reminiscent of you know we just started our wishbone podcast right and one of my favorite um uh recap podcasts gilmore guys they started their podcast and then there was a revival and I really feel like we may be on the same trajectory as them. We have like a small amount of listeners, they have millions, but I think we could get there. <laughs> I believe in us. And the more that like we talk about the podcast, the more like we hear people being interested and there are viral tweets about Wishbone every couple of months. Like, Mike, why are you nodding? You're not on social media. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. No, from from this the small acorn comes the mighty oak. <laughs> yes. yes. From your podcast comes the Wishbone spinoff series. It's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm ready. If they need a producer, I don't know what producers do, but I can do it. Me too. I did Google all the actors to see if maybe we could reach out to them to be on the podcast when we first started the pod, but who knows, maybe maybe we could figure something out. Well, I've been really, one of my uh, pandemic projects was re-listening to the West Wing Weekly, my other, that's actually my number one recap podcast. Uh, Shauna and I went to a live taping of that show and I drove cross country in a snowstorm slash Oh, rainstorm to get there so it's clearly a dedication that is unmatched anyway <laughs> um but that rishi hero one of the hosts of that show has an imdb pro account and that's how he reaches out to people so if someone mm. would sponsor us we could get one of those or like i'm sure someone at cmu we know it has oh, some yeah. to like the school of drama. I mean, Jim Schwartz produced an Oscar or an, uh, an Oscar winning documentary and I have met him two times. So, you know, I feel like I have an in. Um, cool. Noah something Horowitz, I don't know, whatever. He went to our high school and he um, was a composer for La La Land. So I'm sure we could just oh, like- Oh yeah, you're right. We could just like oh, call no. him, text him, I don't know. Yeah. Didn't the guy who wrote La La Land go to our high school, or he's from, that's the guy you're talking, Justin? His name may not be Noah at all. It may be Jeremy. It's a white guy. (laughs) I think it starts with a J. I don't know. (laughs) Justin? I don't know. I may have just combined two famous people into one famous person. (laughs) It's fine. fine. We'll, We'll get to the bottom of that, and then... We'll get some, we'll get Joe Talbot on our on our podcast. Can't wait, can't wait. He's probably a real estate agent now. Then <laughs> he's available. He has time. It's true. Who's selling houses? 
Um, okay, so should we dive into the podcast and actually talk about the episode? Let's do it. The basic premise of the wishbone portion is that Ellen is hosting, it starts out with Ellen hosting a dinner for David's uncle, um, who is going to be putting on a performance that is a fundraiser for the Historical Society, I believe. Um, one of the Oakdale needs, <laughs> nonprofits of the day. Um, and David is the director of this performance and he is very stressed out. He's got a headset, he's got his vest on, of course. She probably has all of his tape and his like accoutrement in there. He's ready for whatever comes his way. Um, and so they're getting ready for this performance. They leave out a table of food and they're gonna go to the theater, I think. And they think that their dog is not going to eat this table of food, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But it was ludicrous. I really made a note of what was on the table of food. First of all, they started off with latkes with potato pancakes and applesauce. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, you know, maybe David's family's Jewish. Um, and, and then the next thing was pigs in a blanket. So then I was like, so that doesn't seem kosher. Yeah, that's a good track. <laughs> a real smorgasbord. <laughs> maybe they were having like appetizers. They were just having hors d'oeuvres, and I, I, I'm here for it. That's great, but you cannot leave a, a table full of food. Even the best dog is going to sn snack something, and Wishbone is apparently not the best dog. He was very interested, and he succeeded. Yeah. Well, I was really proud of him. He held off for, like, two minutes, and that was good, good work on his part. Um, so the other thing I noted during this scene is that, or maybe it was the next scene, I don't know. David's headset he's wearing is apparently a phone. I don't know. He's like, I thought he was just walking around with his headset from the theater like, like some weirdo, but he was on the phone uh, the whole time. Yeah, I and was like, was what is it plugged into? Is it a cell phone? Like, this was like 1995. So I, I hope it's a Joe's cordless phone. <laughs> oh, you know, I remember like, even our very first cordless phone growing up, like this gray on gray square number, definitely had a little slot that you could plug a headset into. Yeah, ours did too. We did not have said headset. No. But I wanted one. I'm sure I like plugged random things into it <laughs> to be cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I tried to plug in just like regular headphones and then the microphone didn't, didn't have a microphone on it. So then I was just talking to myself. That's probably it. It was like leaving yourself a voicemail. Yeah. Um, so Wanda comes in and, oh, so we meet David's uncle, Uncle Homer. And he is this like very large man. I really loved his like jovial vibe. Gregarious. Uh, That's gregarious. Yes. I just, he was just, I don't know. He was so happy. Um, <laughs> I liked him. And then he, so he's talking to the kids. Wanda comes in. She loves Uncle Homer because, of course, she does. Because Wanda is like desperate for a man. Um, <laughs> We've seen this in prior episodes. <laughs> yeah, she's just like so desperate. She definitely um, hooked up with that violin playing vagabond. Sure did. A whole bunch of savages. To up Wanda's with a nice lady. <laughs> I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's delightful. But she's just got a weird game. Is all I'm saying. We're not uh, shaming. We, she knows what she wants and she goes for it. I'm happy for her. You do you, Wanda. Wait, was and that her husband else? in the dance when they were dancing with each other? That was like her husband, right? 
No, the that's Sam's guy? dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay. See, so, I don't remember these pieces. I don't remember those like family dynamics there of the silver we'll swinging in Wishbone. <laughs> I love that. We'll get to that. <laughs> um. So she asks him to Uncle Homer to um, sign an autograph to my dear Wanda. I, I, I can't with her. She's too much. Um. But what I did note was that in these first couple, like, sentences, it sounded like Homer had an accent of some kind. And I don't know if he just had, like, a theatrical voice or if they were trying to give him an accent that sounded like he was an immigrant from Africa. I don't, I don't know what was happening. I was confused, too, um, about the accent. And then part of me was trying to decide, like, maybe he's not, like, a actor who's trained for television like he could be an actor who's trained for like theater or and he did seem like a storyteller I probably should have googled him um but I think you're right his it was very much like a performance like his everyday life was a performance and that could that's what I kind of chalked it off to yeah well I did I did look him up on IMDb and his name um is Akin Babatundi, Babatunde. I don't, I tried to find a pronunciation and I couldn't find it. But um, maybe he actually has an accent himself. I don't know for sure, but like, I don't, whatever. I just thought he had a very interesting like cadence to his voice, especially when like David's mom, who's his sister, just sounds like she's from Oakdale. <laughs> she just had a very like generic voice. Um, yeah, I, I also found that strange because he, when he was talking to David, he didn't have the accent, but then whenever he's doing the storytelling bit or with uh, the other, like, adults, he seems to be, like, more like that larger-than-life character. Yeah. But, like, when they're in David's room and he's just talking to him, it seems like just, you know, a normal interaction without, like, normal as in without the accent, per se. Yeah. Maybe it's just, like, a persona he has for his storytelling. It kind of felt like that, because whenever he comes out and does the theatrical performance, and he does, I think, I would say it's an accent. It sounds, yeah. it sounds really fitting in the theater. It's musical. Like, it does work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. Was, I thought it was very soothing, to be honest. I liked the oh, way it, it was sounded. Awesome. It, was just it had such a good cadence to it. Yeah. Um, so Homer is, um, then he starts to show the kids, um, particularly Joe, how to dance. And that it was painful, but also adorable. And David and Sam had phenomenal rhythm. And Joe, per usual, was just mm. like awkward as all get out. He just was so uncomfortable. Um, yeah, Joe's got the, no moves. He's got, he's got zero. zero moves. He's got Oakdale moves. <laughs> That's true. But I admire that he tried and he was doing it for David. <laughs> he did. He did do a very good job of trying. Mm -hmm. um, then the parents start dancing and talking about how they used to they used to go out dancing when they were younger, which gives us a piece of information we didn't know before, that all these parents were friends before their kids were around, which is very interesting. Um, and Ellen had, like, the momest of all mom moves, and I loved it. I was so there for it. The electric slide? I was all there for that. <laughs> I, seriously, I was so obsessed with this scene. I, like, wrote down some of these amazing lines. Like, when Ellen goes... This reminds me of a dance that we used to do. And David's mom goes, girl, the hustle. And, like, and, I was like, and then, yeah, and 
then Homer mentions the, ele like, the electric slide and how all these line dances really have a lot of roots in um, Af West African dancing. But I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I lost I really it. liked that too, that he was like explaining it. And he like kind of explained the progression from like African dancing to um, like the samba or something. And, mm -hmm. and like, I don't know, that was really cool, like very fast and bit of information, but it was cool for kids to get that background. I liked that too. I liked how this whole section, he talked about how um, these story, like where these stories come from, literally, like logistically, like West Africa because of the slave trade. And mm -hmm. the Nazi mm -hmm. stories are based on, like we, they say when we talk about them, they're West African stories. And he talks about how these dances have um, in South America and Central America and the US have roots in African cultures because that is where the slave trade took these people um and i agree it was super quick and it was such a natural like way of connecting them in a way that made a ton of sense yeah well we can talk about this more too but i thought the way that the show talked about the slave trade was fascinating we can definitely d dive into that later but i just want to like put a put a pin in that because i thought it was really cool um all right so their dancing is interrupted by a tech crisis and David rushes out and the, the next scene they're at the theater and David's trying to like fix the electrical system and Joe and Sam are offering to help and David keeps refusing their help. And then Emily is trying to give him advice and he ignores her advice. And then he blows up the entire electrical system because he plugs in one wrong thing, which is not how electricity works. But <laughs> it created quite, uh, quite the fire or something um, so yeah, so David flips a giant on-off switch, which is something I really needed to mention. It literally says on-off, and he goes like, "Okay, let's move this from off to on." <laughs> well, to be fair, when I did theater in high school, we did have one theater. We had like a, a black box theater in our high school, and it did have a giant lever that like controlled <laughs> all of the lights. And it was very loud, and you were like, "Funk!" Like, it was it was very dramatic. Funk, pull the lever. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening. We had to like practice doing it quietly, so we didn't disrupt the audience. Oh, did you um, turn it off like for intermission or something? Yeah, like if you would turn off the house lights, it was like, "Funk!" Oh. It, it was really intense. Well, they tore down that theater, so it's all over. I was so busy, you know, playing the overture and the intermission music. I was no, 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 this is Funk Jillian. <laughs> no, no, no. This was in the in the little theater, oh, in, like okay, okay. the black box. Got it. Yeah. No, that the the regular theater had like a very nice like dimmer switch. For the Mike, our high school was so bougie. I had two theaters. <laughs> I was gonna say mine only had one. So wow, <laughs> wow, y'all. I'm in the presence of royalty on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, real fancy, like. Um, but I did uh, wishbone digression during this uh, after David blows up the theater. Uh, <laughs> wishbone said, "Wow, a dance recital with explosions! This is gonna be a hit." Um, I loved it. <laughs> wishbone is the comedic relief I need in my daily life. <laughs> I know. Don't you just want to like put them in your pocket and take them with you everywhere? Just, just say something funny, Wishbone. <laughs> David, David was giving me genuine anxiety when he's just like not listening to everyone and freaking out. I'm like, I know David's and I know them, they work. <laughs> They're just like. 
And I love that everybody kept offering him help. Like as an adult, I could tell, oh, like the story is about how like you work together mm -hmm. and people trust you. You need to delegate. <laughs> I know. I was like, David, I'm you. David, delegate. <laughs> David also needs like a Xanax or something. Like I feel for him. That gets having a hard day. They all need therapy. Well, that that's that's a given. But if we could just get him some meds up front, he might be having a better time. Insane. Um. So David is super embarrassed about this. Also, a reason to get meds. You can handle this emotion better. Um. He's super embarrassed, and so he's like hiding in his house. He doesn't go to church, which is apparently a big deal for his family. So that's how we know it's bad. Um. So Joe and Wishbone go over to cheer him up, and um. And then they, Wishbone also says, he won't eat. This is an emergency. <laughs> Wishbone was fantastic in the scene when Joe and Wishbone go over to. I know he was trying to help David. He was like doing tricks for him and like rolling over. He gave him the ultimate trick, shaking his hand, which I'm telling you, ultimate dog trick. I learned that from you. That was really crucial. You can't have a dog and not teach it how to shake hands. It's true. Does your dog know how to shake? She's pretty iffy on shake. She, she'll, she'll go like kind of do both and she just, I think she just um, knows like if you touched her paw, she'll get a treat. Yes. Yeah. That's but, really oh, the only like reason dogs learn how to do anything. Like I said earlier, the trainer for Wishbone deserves an award herself. Like that's amazing. I wonder it if she, like ASPCA or like whoever like does the, does, because I mean, Truly, I talk about it every single time. It's amazing. Don't, it don't tell me PETA's coming to shut down Wishbone, because I'll fight this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm genuinely supportive, but, like, that dog, that dog is a talent. And he seems to be having a very charmed life. He seems all right. He did get to eat, like, half a plate of pigs in a blanket once. Better than I do. It's true. He's living it up. Um, so Uncle Homer and Sam also, sorry, did you have something else to add? I said Wishbone is a good friend, which I can repeat ad infinitum. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always true. Always true. Um, Uncle Homer and Sam come over to convince David to, to come back and, and, um, you know, like retry. Um, and they said, he's... Homer says to David, we need your imagination. And then David says, you have to say that. You're my uncle. And he said, I have to say it because it's the truth, which I thought was really sweet. I really liked that line. Um, As you know, so, how the adults deal with these kids when they're going through like emotions and uncertainty and like real mm -hmm. things that even, you know, me in my thirties feel all the time. <laughs> I, I like that he respected how upset David was and acknowledged how David felt, but he was genuine in his suggestions of how to yeah. move forward. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I, these, this is definitely a TV show because I know no adults like this. <laughs> but like, seriously, I was so impressed at that interaction between David and his uncle. His uncle was just working through that with uh, Joe and Wishbone there, and they're like kind of riffing off each other, but the uncle's still like driving home this point that David like can do it and he needs mm -hmm. to like recognize that like his talents need to be used with the rest of the team. I thought that and was I so think, cool. I agree and I think the like the adults really serve adult roles in this show that it's never like the kids are doling out adult 
level wisdom it's always adults stepping in and like really guiding the kids which is a really nice thing to see I what I also like is so many of us um older millennials and gen xers like were raised by television right like you know this was an after school show at an age where I didn't go to daycare I was probably like eight to you know 10 or 11 or 12 when the show was airing and I would come home and watch it right and I mean, let's be real, this was the healthiest model of like adults and parenting in my life. <laughs> so now it's like a real adult in my 30s. I respect and appreciate it even more. But I think like the intention that you can see like in the writer's room of like, like you were saying, like having the adults doling out like adult type of advice and having the kids deal with like real like kid sized crises and have like real kid sized emotions about about them um, is is good to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, although I would also add as a fan of Boy Meets World that Mr. Feeney doles out really great adult advice as well, but he was only on on Fridays, so wasn't a daily thing. Anyway, um, so David, after his uncle tells, um, tells them a little bit of a story, um, David has this great idea to use flashlights in the performance, um, which I really remember this. Like, as soon as I saw David holding a flashlight in the scene, I was like, oh, they're going to bring out the flashlights. Mm -hmm. So all these people are bringing flashlights to the theater and putting them in baskets. And then they go into the theater and everyone has a flashlight, which leads me to believe that people donated their flashlights to this endeavor. And I'm concerned about whether or not they're going to get them back and be prepared for the next um, power outage. This, this is my concern. I was like, Oakdale has the most trusting community in the world. Like, I hoard my flashlights like they're gold. Like, the power right? went out here, like, literally last week. And I had two flashlights in the house and I couldn't find them. And I was like, oh my god. The power did go out. Mike and I live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> it was horrible. And and here I am watching this episode. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I did not lose power. I knew because of the storms that I would probably lose power because I used to live <sighs> on the other end of the neighborhood closer to Mike and I lost power at, at every storm. So I, I put like, the flashlights in like easy to reach places and I didn't lose power. <laughs> I, that's what I that's what I thought and then I'm seeing these people putting their flashlights in these bins and I'm like they're not even putting labels on them with their names or like I don't know maybe they have everyone in Oakdale already has their name scratched into the flashlight I know I don't so maybe yeah, maybe all these kids go to summer camp and so their flashlights are already labeled from that mm. when you go to camp you have to label everything Okay. I don't go okay. to camp. I worked at a camp. I've never actually gone to summer camp myself. That's just how I know. I was gonna, that's, that would be my major plot hole with this episode. But aside from that, flawless. <laughs> um, I was also like not sure how, how well a flashlight would actually light from the audience. But when the audience um, turned on their flashlights, David was blinded by the light. So apparently it was fine. <laughs> um, so then... Homer leads a bunch of kids in a dance performance and he talks about how dance can be used as a form of communication and you don't need anything elaborate to tell the story. You just need your creativity, which I thought was a really great, another really great like little tidbit to slip in for kids. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this dance performance. Also, the version I was watching on YouTube was very choppy, so I, I don't know if mm. I missed something. 
It was a very multicultural dance performance. There were kids of all backgrounds, which was nice. Um, and they were doing, they were yeah, like, the kids were really good. I was impressed. I was like, oh, damn. I'm like trying to mimic them. Like, I'm like, I need to like pick up some of these moves. And I'm just like, they're like genuinely doing the TikTok of the 1990s. And it's amazing. The camera work, what, so like at the end of this performance, it like turns into a 90s like rager dance party, complete with angled camera work and flashes and wipes and things like that. And I was highly amused. Um, I honestly was having flashbacks to there's a meme with Hip Hop Harry right now. And it's this TV show with like, Harry, it's like a character in a, and he does a dance and a bunch of like white kids do real awkward break dancing. <laughs> and like the best part of the meme is like him going, who's next? And I was just like, what is gonna happen? But I digress, the dancing in this was watchable and entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought the kids were really good. I don't know if it crosses some sort of like weird cultural appropriation line because the kids were also wearing like pieces of traditional African like apparel. I don't know. I don't know. But I think for the 90s, it was very progressive. For the 2020s, I'm not sure. I felt that way too. Um, I'm going to edit this out if it's wrong. Mike, is your family from Africa? Look at this. I wore my Zanzibar shirt today. Okay, I, so, I was going to make a comment <laughs> um, because, like, at least really here, we don't necessarily have any, like, the type of, when we have non-mainstream, I'll say white American, like, apparel yeah. on during some sort of cultural presentation, you're right, Jillian, like, it does veer into appropriation or what is appropriation, but then I was like, you know, this was sanctioned like it really was an educational opportunity they did have um obviously homer there but other people like kind of in the band and and the whole point of the event was um it was for the oakdale historical society to talk about how like african culture is really the basis and root of so much of our american mainstream pop culture in many ways a conversation we're having to this day um mm. but I don't know if I had a point there, but it all seemed connected in my head. Well, yeah, I think like, I think given the current conversation, it was obviously more like it, I was more attuned to it. And like, as a white kid who like in the nineties would have totally put on something and been like, oh, I'm like learning and I'm, you know, understanding this culture better and knowing that that's not really how it works. Um, I think I was just like a little bit more, more skeptical of it, but it didn't, it didn't feel from the short snippet that it was. It, to me, it didn't feel disrespectful, but yeah, I'm a white person, so I don't really know. Yeah, you're yeah, right. I, and it depends on whether they actually had any like consultants or like mm -hmm. um, to the episode, which, you know, you'd see today maybe who like worked on the script and the costumes and like things like that. Mike, what were you saying? Yeah, no, I agree with both of your points. I, I, I think I got that vibe of, like, this was more appreciation than appropriation, especially since it was, like, a performance they are putting on to celebrate West African dance and West African storytelling and its influence in American culture, um, and especially the historical roots of, you know, the whole performance was captured by his Homer storytelling. Um, 
So for me, no, it didn't necessarily feel like that appropriation, but I, 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 especially given the present conversation, like I see how those threads could come in. I come to that question all the time because my, um, so my mom's side of the family actually grew up in Zanzibar. Uh, so my mom immigrated to Pittsburgh. Uh, oh my gosh, I just, like, I'm really bad at dates, but I'm gonna say the uh, 80s. That sounds right. Um, no, somewhere this is in a 10-year period, somewhere. Yeah, somewhere before I was born. <laughs> and um, when, the, like, so my grandma, it's actually interesting. She wears, like, saris, and, but, like, kind of, like, with African patterns on them. And, like, there's, there's a lot of um, shared influence between the uh, Goan Indian culture and the African. Um, so, like, uh, Swahili, like, more of the language. But then, like, so they spoke Swahili growing up. But then also... Um, the Tanzanian culture from that area. So it's it's really interesting. Like I, I always get that like it's like, oh Nana can wear that because like she grew up there. But like can I pull that off? I don't know, maybe. But <laughs> like I think it's kind of a deviation from the competition you're having, but I'm seeing this actually in like modern clothing now. Like you're seeing more African as a whole designs, East and West and Southern African designs starting to infiltrate into uh, Western apparel. And so I, I think it's, it raises a good point. It's like, okay, like at some point, I, I think it is appreciation because it's like they're beautiful designs. But then, you know, I think it is a, it is a fine line. Uh, if you're uh, wearing a kente, uh, you know, like the traditional African, maybe I'm saying that wrong, apologize if I am. Um, but if you're wearing that like just down the street because you think it's like super cool when this is someone's like more associated with their cultural heritage so it's a fine line but i i think it's it's worth exploring than not i agree and i think too like mike and i both have south asian like indian roots and a lot of people don't know that there are a lot of people with indian roots in eastern africa especially um directly related to the slave trade, indentured servitude, like how, who was, who was seen as labor in terms of during like the spice trade and colonization and things like that. Um, and, you know, if you are someone who has family from Africa or East Africa, like that is less unusual or not shocking, or even like if you're from Trinidad or something, like I have Indian friends who have roots there. Um, whereas all of my family is from like India, the country India, and my relationship to like what is appropriation in terms of like Indian appropriation is totally different than what someone who's like from Trinidad or India or Africa or an African country or something like, I guess it, it all goes to like the, the national conversation we're having, which is like, how do you have empathy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think something like clothing is especially tricky because at least for me, like to your point, Mike, like if you're appreciating an item of clothing, if you think something is beautiful and then you're wearing it and you're not doing it because you're doing it because you appreciate it, not, not in some sort of mocking fashion, which like God help us. I hope that people aren't doing that, but I know that they are. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's hard too. Like I, I've thought about that when I travel, like if you pick up something that is, you know, native, native artwork or native apparel like that it's like do you wear it do you hang it up does it feel weird you know it's hard to know and you just want to appreciate local work so the kids it felt like were just I'm sure they were like borrowing it from people 
in theory. Like they're borrowing it from people who are in the audience or who are helping with the performance and they're not like doing it to mock the culture. Mm -hmm. This is right. a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like very full i mean i mean it's obviously very culturally relevant but like i thought like there's so much in the show that it like made for really good conversation and mm. i was just watching it with my dog and she did not have any feedback mm. good thing we have these conversations with people <laughs> um all right so the stories that Homer is telling, which I also, I liked the way that the stories were woven in because they were a part of Homer's performance and they were stories that he was theoretically telling at the performance, the talk the talk performance. Um, and so one of the stories is Anansi, who is a spider. He's a clever trickster. Um, and, I, and I wrote down, and so is Wishbone when he sneaks up on the food at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they open the Anansi stories by talking about um, how Anansi is interpreted in other cultures. Um, and they talked about the Caribbean and Haiti. I think it was the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And Haiti, I know for sure. And then America. And there were some weird accents. Aunt Nancy? Yeah, and you know yeah. what? I just realized um, Aunt Nancy, I, I thought was shocking, but the character on... American Gods is called Mr. Nancy. So now I'm seeing a connection, but I had never heard of any Aunt Nancy things, but all three of us grew up in like the Northern half of the country, right? So yeah, like a lot of the maybe African-Americans that I knew growing up or black people I knew growing up were literally like first generation or second generation from Africa um, by coincidence. So I like, I wouldn't have known American black folktales unless it was like on TV. Right. Well, and I think I think what we're also learning in American culture right now is there is like white American culture, which is what everybody knows, and there's black American culture, which is what black people know. And it is quite possible that black kids our age were hearing these stories and we just weren't. So I think that that's except on Wishbone. And if that's true. Like if that's how it was going down, I'm proud of Wishbone for knowing. Um, so while so David, while David is freaking out about the tech, um, Homer starts telling the kids of the story of Anansi, and uh, Anansi was clever, but he didn't get a lot of respect, and he really wanted people to ask him for his advice, and he was living up in the tree of life. Um, and just kind of like expecting people to come to him and ask for his advice. Um, and the sky god had given everybody a little bit of wisdom, but Anansi wanted all the wisdom for himself. So he collected all of the loose wisdom, which um, Mike, you alluded to before, was like represented in the flowers. Um, in, the, in the production, they were showing it as like petals of a flower. Um, so he collected all of the flowers for himself and he stole some of them and then he kind of just collected the extra ones. And he um, wanted to hide the wisdom in the tree of life, but he wasn't able to get up the tree because he had his, like the thing that he was carrying it in was like on his side. And so he kept getting stuck. And then a, a little girl came up to him and was like, if you just put it on your back, you would be able to fit <laughs> through there. And then he felt like a fool. So he gave it all the wisdom back to everybody because he, he felt 
dumb for being outsmarted by a child, even though he had all the wisdom. So he gave it back to everybody so that they could all have some. Is that a good say, Yeah. The African storytelling of the African fables are just so vivid. And like, I just remember like, as soon as it started, I was like, okay, I remember this one. Versus mm-hmm. like, okay, like tortoise and the hare. Like, yeah, tortoise eat the hare. <laughs> like the hair ran really fast and got tired. But then like Anansi's here lived in like the tree of life. And I'm like, oh okay, cool. He's in the tree of life. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just like I, I took note oops sorry. I took note from that that it was just really vivid storytelling. And I like just the the simple lessons that were built in there. It's like, oh okay, like no one's coming up to me, so I might as well go and like interact with people down there and like take the wisdom for myself. And then, you know, the, the wisdom of a child, like, that's, like, common theme. Like, let's see, emperor has no clothes. Like, kind of remind me of that. It's like, oh, like, you silly dog, why don't you just put it on your back? Like, <laughs> that was it. I, I thought it was a nice, like, there were little lessons all throughout the episode, not just in the uh, interaction with the people outside of the storytelling, but also within the story. And that was a nice takeaway for kids watching the show for adults like ourselves. Mm-hmm. And to your comment about the storytelling, I I was trying to, I was wrecking my brain, just like all three of us were like, why was this so vivid? Why was this so memorable? I wonder if part of it is it was just so different from like the different things from the Western canon that like Wishbone talked about. Or maybe like we really weren't exposed to it again after this, that could be it. The other thing is like, um, honestly, like storytelling culture is very much a thing outside of like our experience with western culture right like western literature western literature and storytelling culture really does require like painting the picture of the scene with your words and i wonder if that's just something that we grew up with if you like didn't necessarily grow up with just your traditional like I don't know, Green Sleeves or Robin Hood or like stories like that. Um, you grew up with stories that required painting the scene and painting the environment and um, things like that. If you did grow up with like the fables that I know from like South Asia or East Asia or Southeast Asia. I agree. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't have anything to add after that. It was a digression. As you all know, sometimes I come to a point and sometimes I don't. <laughs> After you finish, I will go, yes. I just do that. Thank you. To carry the episode along. <laughs> we should really just release these videos for people. Um, okay. So the second um, story that Homer tells I believe the characters are named Baba and Walla with an L. I think or it's with Wana. an L. Wana. I went Wana. back and forth in my notes. I I had trouble, and then I kept. I was trying to Google it, and I couldn't find it. So, Wana. Yeah, I think um, that it's father and son in Swahili. Okay, I did hear him say that father. It was father and son. Um. Okay. So, um theoretically this story kind of like takes place further along in the Anansi storyline although Anansi isn't a character but all of the um the people have in in this story have gotten have sprouted wings from the 
wisdom that they have and are able to fly. And Wana is flying and sees a slave ship. So he goes back to report to Baba that, um, that their people are being um, taken on this ship and that their wings are being cracked off as slaves are being loaded into the ships. And as this is happening, the wisdom plants are all dying. So Baba and Wana take some of the wisdom plants that they have left and go on the ship to kind of help the others. Um, they hide on the ship and brought their and brought their ancient wisdom to America. That must be a direct quote because that is not something I would have written. Um, <laughs> um, and so then while they're in America, the slaves have forgotten their wings. And I I was trying to write it down, but I didn't quite get it. But I think that they said that um, as he's telling the story, Homer says that they were the slaves were forced to drink shame or something like that. It was like really a really like beautiful symbolism. Like as they as they were living as slaves, their like humanity was chipped away essentially. Yeah, it um, was. Um, he said. I, I wish I'd written the full quote down, but he said in America, like the slaveholders made the enslaved people like drink shame and sorrow, like drink That's what it was. shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a really beautiful Forget way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was super vivid. Um, and so Baba and Mana are growing their wisdom in their wisdom flowers in secrets so that they could um, brew a, like a medicine or cre like create a medicine to give to the other slaves. Um, and eventually they are able to do that. They have enough They have enough flowers, so they give them to the slaves and they all fly to freedom. Although they didn't sprout wings, they just kind of like rose up from the ground, which was very interesting. Um, also reminded me a little bit of another 90s program my family loved, Touched by an Angel. I feel like, but like glowing from within. I feel like whenever you would find out that one of the characters was an angel, that's what happened. Anyway. But it was really, um, I really liked that one a lot better than the Anansi story. I thought it had like really beautiful poetry to it and um, really good imagery. And I liked how we talked about this a little earlier, but all of the storytelling around like the enslaved people and like what it looks like and what it sounds like was very, it was both vivid and also like, you know, accessible to kids. Like you are seeing the horror of like, yeah. One person whipping another human being. I know. I was really impressed with that. Like I I was like, oh yeah, slavery was horrible. Thank you for showing that and not like, oh, these people just have to be in the fields. Yeah, like they were exhausted, they were tired, and and the slaveholder was a horrible person. Mm -hmm. I, I like <laughs> it gave him like a very stereotypical southern accent and the mustache and that whip and you're just like wow yep that's uh very relevant today yeah but I, I i agree with both of your points um where they were really good at just like one showcasing like how terrible slavery really was but it was very approachable like if you're a kid you're watching this and you're like you know especially if you're a kid growing up in suburbia in America, and you're looking at this show, and you're you know your your impact of slavery is relatively far removed unless you're an African American watching this show, and it's just it's really stark because I think it touches a topic that like most American educators don't want to touch with a ten foot pole, and so you're you're really bringing this into people's living rooms. You're helping them like 
understand it, but then also, you know, it's like, oh, we're, you know, the storytelling around it is still very optimistic of like, oh, well, they have the, once they get the wisdom and like, once they, you know, have this like empowerment is what I saw that as is like, oh, okay. Like once you have that level, which is kind of still part of the modern conversation today, it's like, oh, like these people have been fed, um, shame and what was the other one shame and sorrow you know which is true like it's been embedded within our culture shame and sorrow but now it's like okay how do you get to what baba and uh wana are trying to go for like this empowerment or this wisdom i took down two specific lines really along those lines like at one point the first time Baba gives a woman who happens to start remembering magic, he gives her um, some wisdom and he speaks like some magic words and he says to her, listen, daughter, open your mind and your wings will grow and very relevant. Um, and that in tandem with a line that um, he says later, the spirit of freedom fed by the ancient wisdom of Africa spread. Like both of those do kind of work together when you think about these were real enslaved people who were sharing these real stories um, from their like not even one generation removed in some cases um, and in other cases many generations removed because it was several hundred years and that like pervasiveness of how the story was told, how hope was shared, how um, how the people were inspired by each other and reminded that like this was um, a possibility. You could really kind of see that in the storytelling, I felt. Yeah, I agree. I think um, as I was watching it, I felt like Homer did a good job, but then also just kind of like the plots of the stories really did a good job of showing how the modern culture and, and how those elements are still carried forward today. And certainly you can see that in like the history of the people who were slaves in the story. Um, another thing that I really liked about that um, piece was that the guy who played Baba was also the same actor who played Homer and I thought that that was a really nice tie um, and he had like a very different persona I thought as Baba but still had this like warm really like loving fatherly character that he has in both um, both instances yeah I love that like healer persona that he had in the in the folktale and it, I thought it carried the episode really well. Because like you said in the beginning, like the episode, especially with the story of Anansi, it felt very fragmented just because the story of Anansi is relatively short. But then they like wove it into this story more of, you know, um, how it related to Baba Nwana in the later story. And so I thought that was like really powerful of having him as that character, as a healer, but then also telling that story and then linking it back to, you know, David's struggle of, you know, being really creative, but then just feeling like he let everyone down. And Homer did a really nice job of saying, like, hey, you're, you're, you didn't let everyone down. Like, we're still counting on you. And, like, recognizing that talent within. And so it was, you know, wrapping a universal message around this one of empowerment of these former slaves. And so I thought it was, like, well done all in all by wishbone first of all but like you know you're hitting like a lot of really heavy topics 
really quickly and going yeah. through it in like what a barely 30 minute episode so it was it was really amazing to be able to tie that plus the cultural knowledge plus all these new themes that you know most kids including myself would have never heard before and even watching it to this day i was like oh i didn't i didn't remember some of these things yeah, I agree. They really covered a lot in a short amount of and in a really like tangible way for kids, but also super respectful without dumbing it down to them at all. I agree. And especially in comparison to when we were talking about the Romeo and Juliet episode, we talked about how a lot of what we know from Romeo and Juliet is not in the episode. There's really only a couple like scenes from the play. And the reality is Romeo and Juliet is not a complex story. Like it doesn't actually have that many acts and that many scenes. Um, and yet like here, they were able to tell such complete stories, show us how they're interconnected, not just in the storytelling piece, but also um, in this like modern piece. And honestly, it's it's really great television writing, I thought. I, mm -hmm. I thought it was just a really good, well-written episode. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's nice to Did see what's possible. Like, yeah. It's nice to see what's possible. Right? Um, do you have anything else you, you either of you wanted to add to that piece of it before we move on to costumes and fashion? Um, no, I thought it was a great episode. Uh, the behind the scenes section at the end. Oh, yeah. The flying mm -hmm. harness. So that was really yeah, cool. That was cool. It's I funny because like you can see I think that's where my knowledge of flying harnesses comes from. Because I was like, oh yeah, that's totally how they work. Like, wishbone. that's all I know about them. <laughs> I, uh, it was probably for me, Wishbone, and like, I love the TV show Alias. So I saw like lots of like the behind the scenes and like stuff on the DVDs, because I still own the DVDs of like how they did the wire. I love action stuff, um, mm -hmm. not just flying in Wishbone, but like how wire works works. That was very cool. Alias is not my recommendation for this episode, but you know, everyone can watch it. But it's your recommendation for every episode. <laughs> you can watch it as a treat. I was amazed they got the dog actor into the wires. Like, dogs do not like being lifted up like that. So, I, and it, you know, as a Nancy the Spider, Wishbone was doing well and really yeah. excelling. So, it was impressive to see that they were able to train him to do that and on the wire. Yeah. My parents have a dog that's, um, we think, a Jack Russell Terrier Corgi mix, so she's about the size of Wishbone, and she hates to have her feet off the ground. So I get, mm -hmm. my dog, she's weird. She likes to be carried around. She's 70 pounds. <laughs> she's not practical for carrying. But I don't think she would like to be, like, suspended like a spider like that. My parents would definitely down. would. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, Wishbone's very impressive. Um, so we touched on it a little bit, but his costume, we can touch on Wishbone costumes. Wishbone as a Nazi was the cutest, because he's cute as everything. But he had that little hat, of course, because he always has a little hat. But also his spider costume appeared to have pants. And perhaps he has a, grown accustomed to his pants. Hmm. Oh, I thought it like wrapped around his belly like a Halloween Maybe. costume. Um, I, he kind of looked like he had shorts on his back legs. I don't know. Maybe I mean, I, it could be. You got to fit all eight of those legs or six of those. Whoa. <laughs> Were there four legs on that costume or eight legs? Oh, that's a good question. There should be four, I guess. And then his other legs are the other legs. 
<laughs> his real legs are the other legs. His other just, legs are other No, because I think the spider had eight legs. I think it had eight spider legs. Across and then he top. had his own legs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice his pants. I like I gotta go back and watch that again. <laughs> I, well, this is a recurring theme for us, Virgilia and, and pants. <laughs> okay, I don't know if your dog like wears costumes, but my dog does. And dog costumes or dog pajamas or whatever that they make for dogs don't have real pants on them. They have like sleeves that go over dogs their back. Dogs hate legs. stuff going on their butts. Yeah, exactly. And how do they go to the bathroom? But in episode one of Wishbone, <laughs> he was wearing he was dressed as Tom Sawyer and he was wearing uh, full on pants. That's because Tom like, Sawyer doesn't wear a That's impressive. <laughs> I know, I know. It was really ridiculous. And then after that, he was he was just wearing like shirts. I've been tracking his clothing because my dog that I have now is the first dog I've ever had that wears clothing. So I'm really into dog outfits. That's impressive. There, I wonder if there's like a used wishbone wardrobe that you can like you can shop through. Because like think about it, they had all these dog costumes. What happened to them? They probably had more than one of each one too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you know, you have accidents, wardrobe malfunctions. These, these, these are the same issues with dogs as people. Oh my gosh, we gotta find that Odysseus helmet <laughs> or the Cyber Dog helmet. <laughs> oh my god, I, I would teach Beanie how to wear hats if it was the last thing I did. If I could get my hands on that helmet, I would put it on her so fast. <laughs> it would just sit on top of her head though, because she has a very big head. But it's fine. <laughs> Every time Wishbone has any sort of headgear, it's impeccable. He has a little black beret to be on a Nazi. Oh, the, the costume design is stupendous. I even like um, Wana's costume where he had like the little, like he had a hat, he had like a, yep. like a torso thing, and he had the wings. And oh, don't mention, he's strapped in because he's flying along this whole time. Yeah. You know, when Feeny was a puppy, the I tried to get her to be a pterodactyl for Halloween when she was like six months old and it had wings on it. That thing lasted I think 13 seconds. I have it all on video because <laughs> she hated it so much. <laughs> so I can only imagine if I strapped wings to her back she would be like oh get me out of here. But she's not very professional. Wishbone. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have the decorum no. of the wishbone actor. No. <laughs> There's no decorum. Um so, did you have any fashion uh, notes on the humans of this show, Shauna? I know you do. I do. I noticed those flannel hoodies you mentioned um, in an earlier episode. I noticed them for the first time. So, it's like- They're so good. The body is flannel. The sleeves are like sweatshirt material. <laughs> Was Joe hoodie. wearing one? Joe and Sam were wearing them yeah. side by side. Yep. <laughs> I love them. I really want one for myself, to be honest. I would wear it all the time. Oh, they're fly. Yeah, then I will just look like Corey Matthews, and it'll be so great. <laughs> <laughs> and you need the white tennis shoes. That's like, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, white tennis shoes. That was a thing. I was concerned that Joe might have had trouble dancing because his tennis shoes are so large. Like, huge. <laughs> he like, cannot lift his feet. It's just the biggest tennis shoes. <laughs> I wonder too if like maybe you know how a lot of child actors also are like trained in dance like maybe Joe wasn't because we do believe he's the weakest of the three child yeah. actors and mm -hmm. I have a feeling the other two did train a little bit in dance like enough to like 
A, like not look terrible, <laughs> um, but B, like oh, Joe man. better. If Joe had been trained in dance at all, he'd probably be a little bit better at like faking basketball too. Like when he's playing basketball, Joe getting thrown under the bus on this podcast. We love Joe. When Joe <laughs> ages up and becomes like thirty-four years old, but in eighth grade, I love it. <laughs> You're like, oh wow, look at the, the glow up. That's how he got that role. He <laughs> was what? Oh, he's, it's just like legendary. No, he has no dance moves. He has no moves, just in general. Yeah, remember, like, we're going to get an episode. For, this isn't the move metaphor, but there's, I think it's a Cyrano episode where there's a girl and there's two boys and one of them is Joe. Oh. <laughs> Any other fashion notes, Shauna? Uh, yes, in the final presentation. <laughs> <laughs> get- yes. Uh, in the to final- your listener, Shauna's flipping through a very large notebook right now. I'm just, you know, I'm keeping it real for the people out there, just giving them all the info, just in case they didn't watch the episode, which you all should do because they're available free on YouTube, linked on our website, wishbonepodcast.com. <laughs> anyway, Sam, again, I also had a very blurry view of the final performance. I think Sam had some braids in. Um, they didn't look like cornrows, but they did look like she had braids like under. Which she has done before, to yes. be fair. She has done that, and that's what made me think maybe it was the same like two braid hairstyle she has worn before. Um, that's the only like real thing going back to our conversation about like appropriation or appreciation. I think today that definitely wouldn't, there would have been no braids on Sam whatsoever. Um, back then it would have probably like slid a little bit more. White people doing cornrows, that was a thing though in the 90s. Like, I mean, it's still a thing. Spears oh, did it. Like, Kardashian thinks. Yeah. Chris oh, is it still a thing? Sunset. Like, you know, selling sunset, like, it's not okay. I have been watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians recently. I, I don't normally watch it, but I've been watching it as like a distraction um, and just like mindless entertainment. And Khloe Kardashian had her hair cornrowed in 2018, I think, is the episode that I'm in. Like, she, and it's like on the show, she's like, sitting, talking to her Black friends as she's getting her hair braided. I'm like, what are you doing? Girl, come on. Well, it's like old couture as soon as a white person does it, right? Like there's a whole conversation around fashion coming from African-American people, you know, quote, ghetto, unquote, until a white person wears it. And then it's like high fashion, same thing all the hair, like, um, also, I noted a back to fashion. Emily um, wore a vest in her when she was helping David with the lights, and I believe vest must be a family um, situation. It was a denim vest, I do believe. It was a denim vest. It was like a floral denim vest. Yeah, that was that was, <laughs> was fine. It was very fancy. I've mentioned before I wore a lot of vests in the '90s with a turtleneck shirt and stirrup pants um so you know it might have been you were pretty damn cool (laughs) not cool at all i was rolling (laughs) in the middle school like vest turtleneck inside like you you have high tops too 
Um, I probably was not that cool. No, mm. I was probably wearing Skechers. Wheelies. You had wheelies. Skechers. I didn't see any good 90s references in this episode. I think um, parents dancing. That scene felt very 90s. <laughs> like when the kids walked away true. and the parents just Oh kept my dancing. god. <laughs> that was That hilarious. scene was painful. But it was good. It was like they're in a circle doing like some derivation of the mamba or something like that. Actually, now that we're talking about it, like timeline-wise, let's say the kids are like 10. It's the early 90s. So the parents would have been teenagers in the 70s. So like, you know, maybe they were kind of cool <laughs> before they had they, they were hippies. Yeah. Free love and hippies, as, as we suggested earlier. What would you say the key takeaways are for the show? I think... I would say I have two. One is that um, it was awesome to like see the storytelling and hear the storytelling and um, really like recognizing that there's so much that we can all learn from cultures other than the one that we grew up in, whether it's, you know, like white suburbia, very much the culture that I grew up in, um, or like the Indian community or whatever that is. I, I like that. And then the second was the the empowerment, the themes of empowerment and um, like working together to find a solution and having optimism. I really like that. I agree. I also wrote down um, delegation. <laughs> David was so stressed out. He really could have used to help some help from his friends and then he wouldn't have blown up the theater. But, you know, or if he had listened to Emily, because she said that she knew how to fix it, and he didn't even listen. He just ignored her, and she might have known, even though she was a phone thief in the episode previous. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I, I, same things that you both touched on, like, this idea of, like, community and the individual's role within it. I thought they did a really nice job of saying, like, hey, everyone brings these special talents, and, like, it centered on David's story, of course, of, like, he's, like, really good at setting up these theater productions but he's really because we're on the show yeah he's real shit at he's real shit at like delegating and he like works on that through the episode and he grows into it and like you see when they all come together it's like oh you can really do something amazing and they echo that in the baba and Lana story where like mm-hmm. they're empowering their community and they're saying like hey here's the spirit of freedom like here's that and so like those threads of like community coming together but relying on like individuals empowering others and like leveraging their inner strengths I thought was like a really great message for kids but also just like a really great thread across the whole episode um and what was the other takeaway I have written here uh, yeah just like leveraging talents and ideas and like bringing those for the betterment of all like I thought it was so cool like they were like, I'd love to be in a community where it's like, oh, like, hey, we're putting on a performance and just, like, educating y'all on, like, your racist-ass past. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, like, no, but, like, seriously, like, about, you know, a community. And, like, this is something that, like, especially in Oakdale, they might have not known any of these things. And they got, like, everyone to participate in it, too, which I thought was very nice. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you do joke, like, oh, like, maybe we should. But the truth is, like, we didn't grow up learning this stuff like at school, right? Like those, our curriculums maybe didn't talk about all these things or really talk about, um, you know, who was impacted by the slave trade and the impact that had on the entire world's cultures at the time. But Mm -hmm. I think 
you know, I think too, like if you guys have heard of the HBO show Watchmen, you know, I frankly didn't know about the Tulsa massacre until that show kind of came out and there were more conversations about that. And I think like in some ways it can be helpful if people with means give, you know, a platform to people with a story to tell and a vision. And I felt like I learned so much um, about the Tulsa massacre, like not just watching Watchmen obviously, but like then started reading more and like hearing about it. And then, you know, a couple months later, we're in this current era where we are talking about what does black liberation look like and what, what has historically our country done. And the fact that we haven't reckoned with like our racist past in, you know, the only real comparison I can make is Germany and the way that they like have reckoned with fascism and their complicity in how that, you know, grew to affect the entire world. Yeah, I also didn't know about Tulsa Massacre until relatively recently, just due to my lack of education on it. I was like, oh, Black Wall Street, that's so cool. And I'm like, ah, we ruined that. But anyways, um, I also thought like, from the episode's perspective, it was really cool to see, like they gave like a history of not only slavery, but also like all of the cultural like givens in American pop culture that like actually rooted in uh, slave trade, but also like this West African and African culture that was brought over, which I thought was really cool. Cause like kids were like, oh, like, yeah, we love these dances and stuff like that. It's like, oh, cool. There's actually some deeper cultural roots there too. Yes, Pam specifically says, like, she did ballroom dance with her dad, and she was like, yeah, like, these Latin dances are, like, you know, Afro-Latino, like, cultural dances, and it makes sense, right? But someone has to, like, make the connection for you before you start thinking about it, if that's not, like, a cultural background for you. Honestly, when I heard the electric slide had African roots, I was like, whoever, like, (laughs) that, that's, like, what? That is the whitest dance I know. And I know how to do the electric slide. Whoa. I'm sure white people ruined it is probably what happened. It's it's a beautiful dance, don't get me wrong. But it is uh, something else. It, something else. That's, that's basically the, the entire summary. <laughs> um, Alright, well, do either of you have recommendations you'd like to share? Sure, I'll go first. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm politely deferring. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we talked a lot about storytelling and cultural, storytelling from cultures outside of like mainstream white culture. And an anthology I really like is called A Thousand Beginnings and Endings. It's edited by Ellen O and Elsie Chapman and it's 15 um, East Asian and South Asian and Southeast Asian, um, like, traditional pieces of folklore and mythology, but reimagined. So there's 15 retellings of the original folktale or myth. And then after each short story, they there's a separate chapter about what the thing is based on. So one of the stories is like kind of takes place in the future and there's like an AI robot and another one takes place in like mythological past in China and like things like that. So I really like it because it is not only like 
telling you what what does a folktale look like well folktale looks like whatever we mean and the takeaways are the whole point of the folktale right and like the themes and i like how there's like all these different kind of eras represented but then they immediately delve into what the original folktale and mythology was because chances are most of us don't know it so it's called a thousand beginnings and endings cool all right, ready for mine? Yeah. All right, so this is a little hyper-local, but the South Park Bison Enclosure, if you live in Allegheny County or the surrounding area, is a real treat. I was there with a buddy of mine. We were hiking around South Park. Uh, it is, it's a great activity, and I know people, like, want to get outside into nature, or, like, you know, somebody that's not there apartment in my case or house or wherever they're currently quarantining if you're listening to this episode around July 2020 in anywhere in the world but uh general recommendation like look up like cool things that are outdoors in your area because I think there's just so many strange things like outdoors or like within an hour's drive of your locality like South Park is literally an hour, not even an hour, maybe like 20 minutes from the city of Pittsburgh. And there's a herd of 15 bison or buffalo in an enclosure down there. And it's, it's like, it's spectacular. And the, uh, yeah, the guy let us go like really close. And so we were like one fence away from the voice feeding them. And it was, it was amazing. Um, to echo your recommendation, this isn't my recommendation, but it made me think of it. Uh, my mom and I have birthdays that are just a couple days apart, and this year her birthday is on Friday and mine's on a Monday, and so we're taking the whole weekend to just kind of like do something fun, and because we can't go anywhere or do anything real, um, I found a list of 13 roadside attractions in Wisconsin, and we're just going to drive around <laughs> and look at like a giant pink elephant and the world's largest penny. I know that elephant. I've seen <laughs> that in a book. Have you? Yeah, that's I, I think I've seen it in real life actually, but whatever. We're gonna we're gonna drive around and we're gonna see all the things. So I agree. Just look stuff up. Go on a road trip if you can, and like a day trip, and just see something that is not your house. <laughs> Go out there. <laughs> um, my recommendation is another um, pandemic um soothing thing i think uh it's called say i do it's a show on netflix and it is eight episodes of pure bliss it is people throwing surprise weddings for their partners the first episode i cried like a baby it was so good i've watched all of them but they have um three people who help with the catering and the dress and like the design of the wedding um and it's i don't know it's just so great it was, there's like couples with all, like of all different ages and backgrounds and there was like straight couples and gay couples and I don't know, I just loved it. It was so happy and everyone was really living their best life. And if you are having a bad day, I highly recommend. I love it. That sounds delightful. It sounds like, you know, there's a happy ending each time. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> And, you know, I'm, like, not really that into weddings as, like, a thing. I mean, they're fun and everything, but, like, I don't, I don't, like, sit and dream about my own wedding. But I was really getting into it for these people who really wanted a big wedding, and they were really just, like, living it up, and their, like, partners were just so happy to be able to give it to them. I don't know. It was so good. 
that sounds like a great show. I'm in the same boat with you. It's like, oh, I'm really happy for someone else to ball out on a wedding. Exactly. I'm just like, you ball out, invite me, and I will show up. Or like, I'm, yep. I'm going to check out that show because I want to root for these couples. All right. Well, you'll, you'll love it. And um, the three um, people that are like the experts who are like helping them, these three guys, they just like kept talking about how gay they are, which I don't, I don't know. I thought it very funny. They were just like, who knew you needed three gay guys to save your wedding? And they're just like really into it. I don't know. I loved it. They were all so funny. And like those three guys, like you could tell like they'd like become friends as they had done this project together. They were all crying together. I don't know. I loved it. Uh, couldn't recommend it. Anymore. I love love. So I'm glad that you have such an uplifting re recommendation for us. All right. Any last parting words? That's it. Thanks. That was nice great discussing with both of you. you on. Yeah, yeah thanks for having nice. me. I am happy to come back. <laughs> and right. now, thank you everyone what's for the story with Jillian and Shauna and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep adding names. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.